Yeah, it's really been a, a super game changer, the Zoom recording. And I think it sounds, because I used to do it, it was actually, it was a, uh, what's the word? It was like a fortunate mistake because I was using Skype and it probably was because of the pandemic that they, they really got their shit together. But I was using Skype and then one day, one Microsoft, up, one Windows update, all of a sudden I could no longer record the other person on Skype like like literally just one update it just shut that feature down so I was like okay what do I do now and then my buddy was like just press record on zoom <laughs> and there you go boom so, welcome to church and other drugs my name is Jed and today we have Mo I always want to say so lay but it's so let right no it you had it, it right. is it's so lay okay yeah, yeah. that's what I said thought it's- as French as it gets. Yeah, Soleil. <laughs> uh, from uh, the Tales from the Rift podcast and from my personal life. Fucking right. Actually. Yeah, it's more personal than anything else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was I was trying. I always. Uh, it's it's funny. It's funny how life works when like, do you ever look at people you have in your life that re- that the relationship has changed over time. And then you go back and think about like the first time you even heard about that person or met them. And so I was thinking about that with you. And I think the first thing I ever even heard about you was like a blood drive. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that would have been 15, 2015. 2016 yeah 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 and then uh and then I met you at a book study at a bear's book study Mm -hmm. and then I started seeing you at metal shows and it was like (laughs) it was like damn we could have been a lot cooler a lot long ago yeah man if I would have known that (laughs) I know it, it just it just goes to show you man you can never like you know judge a book by its cover you know you just can't I know it's hilarious. It's well, it's well, I actually, some people you can or right. you used to be able to, but I guess I never, I never saw you in like civilian garb. It was like usually <laughs> you would, um, khaki would pants, just, polo yes, shirt. Yes. Like just coming oh. home from work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that so <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. And I guess because that was when, like a bear, I guess I would I would throw him in this category, but that was when it seemed like so so my sobriety journey it's it seemed like it took me so long to like want more for my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, as far as like I had always just like worked at restaurants, I had always kind of dressed like a bum, I'd always had shitty cars, all that kind of thing. And a bear's book study was uh, the first time that I felt like I was around like men, adults that had their shit together because it was <laughs> like, you know, because it was, um, oh, what's the other dude's name? It was like Uncle Phil. It was a bear and it was. Uh, Wes 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 and so it was like all these dudes like running businesses doing like I don't know entrepreneur stuff and like because I I remember it like y'all had to teach me how to like get a better credit score and stuff (laughs) like that we all been there man (laughs) yeah it it, it was really it it really was well it was the I remember the the first time that happened have you ever heard of uh Archipaw yeah yeah Okay, so for the people that haven't, there's something called uh, Young People of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the acronym is YPAW, and it's basically the like fun and exciting uh, (laughs) branch of AA where it's just like a bunch of young kids. It's it's a fucking ray without ecstasy. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's a it's a caffeine and nicotine fueled rave, and so they have one in the mountains. Uh, of Arkansas and it's called Archipaw. And I went to Archipaw Paw one year and this couple who I'd never met before, I ended up hanging out with them the most of the time. And 
he had, it's so weird that I remember this, but it, it really was like a turning point for me. He had a, um, man, what are those Honda SUVs called? An Element. He had a Honda Element um, that I was like, this is a badass car. And then I think it was an Element. I don't want to be misspeaking. And it's like a Goober car, but they're, they're kind of weird SUVs. They don't yeah, make them like a, like a fucking toaster on wheels. No, it's not no. that. It's not that. My boss has one right now. I don't think it is an element because it's not the boxy one. Anyway, it was like it was more like a forerunner type thing. Okay. Um, so he had this cool car. We're hiking. They had all this like cool hiking gear. Uh, they like had this professional camera. They're taking pictures. And it was like the first time I was like, I want cool shit. Like I'm tired of having nothing. They had been sober for a while. Yeah. And I really looked at them and I was like, y'all seem it wasn't, and it wasn't about the material possessions that was part of it, but it was like, y'all seem you have a cool life and you have things that every cool thing that I had had at that point, I just pawned it. And I, and that was really when I was like, I, I want that. I think, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. Like just, I th- I'm, t- I'm tired of being poor. I'm tired of being poor. Dude. <laughs> I want a cool camera and a car. <laughs> Fuck man. So anyway, so I wanted, uh, well, a, we've been trying to do this for a solid two months now. At least <laughs> it's at least a, like six months. Yeah, you're right. What, it's my. What, what, what was the uh, the, the first uh, Capra show? Uh, I think they opened up for uh, Golgothan. Um, okay, then we're creeping on sorry, a Golgothan. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not a year. You're probably right. Probably six months. Yeah, it, it was actually no. I could actually I know. I started my podcast November, and that's okay. It was it was just before that because I was like, hey, Jed, you've been. A, pod came the, the, the podcasting business for a while what do i do to start mine yeah so and it's, I, it's that time. so yeah and that's that's an interesting point too and i'm i'm very proud of you because and i i uh well i don't mm, how do i put this delicately <laughs> please <laughs> there, I'm, I'm sensitive you know that yeah well <laughs> you know I, I i've listened to yours i like what you're doing it's and it seemed like you took some things I told you to heart. It, it's kind of this, it's kind of the deal where like, and I, I went through the same thing where at first it was, yeah, I want to start a podcast. And like, how do I do it? Mm-hmm. And then realizing, and I, I remember the first kind of insult was I, I got a podcast guest and they were like, I, they, their podcast like wasn't even huge, but they were like, yeah, we saw you only had 10 episodes. So, you know, at first we weren't even going to come on because, you know, most podcasts, you know, they just do like 20 episodes and they're done. And I was like yeah. really kind of offended by that. Yeah. But now I kind of, I, I, I haven't yet to say no to anybody that like wants me to come on their show, especially when they're starting out. Cause I get it. It's hard. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I have had a lot of people ask my advice for them starting their own podcasts. And then I've kind of listened to it and it's just not good. It, you know what I, yeah. I, and I, I say delicately cause I'm not, I'm, I say this like I used to suck, you know what I'm saying? And maybe I do still suck, whatever. And I'm just still going, but a lot of people think it's it's as easy as sitting in front of a microphone and talking. It's not. It's not. It's absolutely not. As if there's not a million other podcasts of people that just think everybody wants to hear what they have to say. Spoiler alert, they don't. It's just right. not interesting, man. Right. So kudos for you for like doing it right and doing research to to it and committing to it and it seems to be going well so far well i appreciate it man and you know it's people um in the past couple months are saying hey man we appreciate what you're doing because you know 
you know, our stick is we just want to uh, highlight a lot of, you know, local artists. That's what I want to do. I mean, that's, that's the focal point of the show. Like um, growing up, we didn't have podcasting. We had like, you know, radio shows that, that uh, tailored to just metal, like, like on a Sunday night or one night a week. And, you know, most times if I had family gatherings or I was out and about, I would miss it. And like, there was no archive of it. So like now we live in this day and age that we could do that shit. So I'm all about it. I'm, I'm like all the way in with it. Nice. Well, and we'll, uh, we'll get to that towards the end, but I wanted to, I wanted to dive in first kind of, uh, your, your recovery story and then just kind of, and your, your life story in general, because it's, it's an interesting one for sure. Um, so wherever, I guess, Hmm, where do we want to start? I guess as far as like the early beginnings of Mo are concerned, like, would you just say, you know, was there anything special going on in the childhood era? What kind of family did you grow up in? I mean, um, I'm the oldest of three children. I have two younger sisters and my parents are, uh, they're still together to this day. God bless them. And, uh, you know, uh, I've heard um, in the rooms of AA that a lot of people like, you know, they grew up in a, in a, you know, in a childhood that wasn't pleasant. And my family had its shares of ups and downs. And I, you know, I definitely grew up a lot faster than, than most of the kids down my street. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the eighties. A lot of things are way different than what they are now, you know, a, you know, I, I hate to put anyone down. I'll make them feel slighted anyway. But the the generation that's you know after me, or maybe you know the millennials, or the you know they, you know they, it's it's to some varying degrees they're they're coddled and a little entitled and shit like that. You know that's that's no fault of theirs. It's just the way they grew up. You know we we uh I know like we're the parents of that generation. You know, that's we what were, I was about to clap back it, with. <laughs> yeah, I know. But but the thing is, is because like you know we went through all that shit in our childhood, not in our development, and we want to protect them. And I know as a parent of two teenage boys, that's all I want to do is protect them from whatever. At the same time, it's like, you know, you know, I got, I'm pulling them back on a, you know, like, like a bow and arrow. I just got to let go, you know, and just hopefully yeah. they, they land, you know, on some solid ground. Yeah. So anyway, to answer your, your question, I mean, my, my childhood was, I mean, I had a, I had a pretty good one, you know, um, uh, I saw some shit, you know, um, had a very, uh, some unpleasant shit, like, you know, open my eyes as far as like alcoholism and substance abuse from a, from a very early age in the family, in the family. Yeah. Okay. Um, like immediate family or, or, uh, immediate or ext- okay. Yeah. Immediate and extended. Wow. So, so yeah. And you're, you're from South Louisiana, right? Yeah, I uh, was born in Homa, Louisiana, but I was raised in Delcom. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That, uh, let's see. What would be a nationally known equivalent for Delcom? Let's see. Probably like um, whatever small town that is constantly on the news in your state <laughs> for, <laughs> for petty crime. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just... You know, it, uh, any town, Florida. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, yep. It is the it is the Florida of Louisiana. It really is. I mean, and that you know, at one square mile of a town, uh, there's fuck. I mean, at the same time, we got like the high schools pushing out doctors and lawyers. We got first degree murders and like murder suicides going down the same street. It's it's fucking nuts. Yeah. What, um, wait, when, so when were you born? I was born in 80. Okay. So what was, so let's see the, the drinking age was 18 until when like 80. Oh shit. Yeah. It was like mid 80. Yeah. 86 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So what, when was your first, uh, when was your first sip? Cause that's, (laughs) that's the other difference I've found in, it's almost what I would imagine or what I've heard as far as like more of a European or German 
cultural attitude toward drinking where like you kind of teach responsibility by letting them drink young but it's right. it's just like this is what you're gonna do so you better learn how to handle it it was that true or was that your experience yeah uh, more or less yeah uh, i remember uh at a very early age my my grandparents my uncles and my my parents would all gather around and, like play cards together and i mean th there was always you know my dad was a budweiser fan my, i could tell you who liked what and my, my grand my grandparents my grandmother had a miller light and my grandfather had like his little gin and tonic. And I remember the first sip was my grandpa's gin and tonic because it came on a glass. I knew the beer was bad. Like, you know, I knew the beer wasn't for me, yeah. you know, because I, that's an adult drink. But, you know, I, I saw my grandpa had like a little, you know, little rock glass and lemon lime or some. And uh, I was like, man, you know, I like lemonade. That was the thing. But I was like, I didn't smell <laughs> like lemonade, you know, and, and I was like, off I went. And then, like, you know, I was going around the table and I was probably like eight to 10 years old when this shit was going down. That's so young. And it, was <laughs> it like, what was the family reaction? Like, oh, oh that's it. hilarious. Yeah, yeah it was, that's hilarious. It's like, oh, shit, you know, it's whatever. But it's like, you Lord. know, it's like, it's like that was like the rite of passage for like, you know, me and all my, my cousins, uh, you know, that, that was around at the time. Yeah, and that's. That's so that's funny because it's so I guess where I grew or my family, I guess the prevailing culture would have been like Southern Baptist. So I've never been to a family gathering where there was alcohol growing up. Never just wow. did not happen. Yeah. So it's very it's very I always wonder. I mean, I would have just been an alcohol. I was going to say, I always wonder what, what it would have been like if I had been like introduced to it earlier, but I imagine I would just be more of an alcoholic than I am. <laughs> so, all right. So where did it go from there? Uh, from there, man. Um, you know, I, I, so like around eight to 10. Um, so like I was basically a little skateboarder and you know, skateboarder uh, in Delcom, you know, uh, I hung out with like all my friends are way older than me. Um, the kids down my street, you know, were all the same age, but I, you know, I didn't feel like I had a whole lot in common with them. Felt like I had more in common. Cause like with uh, my friend Brock, who I'm still friends to this day, he's four years older than I am. And we always hung out at his place with skateboard, go back to his, his dad's uh, dental practice slash apartment complex. And so it, it was, uh, with my older friends where I started like, you know, gravitating towards, you know, whatever they were doing, you know, and they were a little bit more mature than I was. So, you know, if they had beer, of course, you know, 10, 11 year old Mo wanted to drink with them. And, you know, and I remember like, uh, from, an early, from an early age, man, I, I was just getting like sauced yeah. with, with, with these, with these teenagers who are like 15, 16 years old, who was well, well seasoned in drinking and i'm like getting blackout drunk like like 12 years old bro that's that's <laughs> intense dude i never yeah i don't think i got drunk until oh god 16 15 or yeah. 16 yeah. yeah and i i had had sips and stuff before that i just hated how i couldn't get past the the taste of it and yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of uh, of tasting beer myself. And like, I, I don't know what it is. And like, and even, you know, but like, once I got to be a, a later teen and even my early 20s, you know, I started gravitating towards more, you know, beer and, and all that stuff. But it just seemed like from an early age, I was always like, the hard liquor for whatever reason, I guess maybe because it probably you know, maybe. Yeah, maybe that first gin drink, man. Yeah, I think so. It, just, it did the job. And like, you know, it, you know, we drank for effect. Right. So I yep. was I was well on my way that that's true. Yeah. My first uh, uh, whiskey and Coke would have been like the first uh, actually. And this is such a bitch thing. But Mike's hard. Mike's <laughs> hard lemonade was one of the first things that I got drunk off of, dude. <laughs> that's such an awful drunk because of the sugar, dude. It's oh, just God, yeah. rough. That's it, a it horrible just, vomit. It just sounds like a headache. Just it instant. is. Oh God. Oh, and we also had like kids today have fireball, but we had Goldschlager. I had Goldschlager too. Yes, I, with I, the gold remember, flakes in it. 
Oh, dude, like I remember like uh I was probably 17, one Mardi Gras. I, I got absolutely just blitzed out of my mind on fucking Goldschlager. And I remember just puking everywhere. I I, I and that's probably the the last time I drank something like that, you know, anything like cinnamon schnapps related. Nah, I, oh I, yeah. That. The, the urban legend for us was that the little, I wonder, I wonder if you heard this too, was that the little gold flakes would cut your throat and the yeah. alcohol. Did you hear that too? <laughs> I did. I did. That can't be true. Right. Where did that come from? I don't know where it came from, man. It, it, it made its rounds to Louisiana as well. That's hilarious. Just, <laughs> just like, um, Marilyn Manson getting a rib removed. Yeah. You heard yeah. that one? I heard that one. Yeah. That, I love rumors before the internet age because like, how did they spread like that? But everybody knew the same ones, dude. Yep. So I, and I wanted to ask too, was, was your family uh, practicing or culturally Catholic? Did you have any God oh, yeah. beliefs oh, yeah. when you were younger? Yeah, we, there was definitely, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic. I was confirmed Catholic. In fact, um, you know, went through all uh, First Communion, you know, obtaining uh, a confirmation uh, as a was it junior in high school, I want to say. And uh, very strict Catholic. In fact, my mom was so strict Catholic on me, man. Like, you know, growing up a metalhead was pretty fucking difficult because she wouldn't yep. allow me to wear like Slayer T-shirts. Yep. Like she, she would allow me to wear certain, you know, t-shirts that were black um i remember like you know uh, she she let me i had a, a sound garden bad motorfinger shirt uh, she let me wear that uh jimmy hendrix uh was a big one that always wore the fuck out that one but i had i wanted a slayer shirt when i was like real early like when i was like 11 12 years old again and was at the mall and i was i, I was like can i get this one and it had a big old pentagram and it was, it was the classic, <laughs> the classic Slayer shirt. And she was like, you absolutely not. You're not going to yeah. wear that in front of me. And like everyone, it, it was all about, you know, Image. How, yeah, how she would get viewed. You know, she, she was worried yep. about that. And, uh, and I was like, ah, I just think it's fucking cool. I just, I just want to wear a Slayer shirt. I love Slayer. But Slayer. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Cause I remember the first, cassettes that got taken away from me and my sister was uh smashing pumpkins melancholy and the infinite sadness and then Romstein's said and shook or however you pronounce it because the cover where they had like the barbed wire in their mouths and stuff oh, yeah. and, and yeah. my dad my dad was like absolutely not <laughs> yeah so i also i could understand him taking away Romstein, but the the smashing pumpkins i mean that's, that's oh that's pretty, yeah but like he he had well, not for see, this is this is an evangelical household. So it's oh, like right, and right. Smashing Pumpkins had some hardcore like God is empty uh, yeah, uh, yeah. lyrics. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Whenever I used to sing along to zero, I would not sing that part. That's how strict <laughs> uh, that's that was my uh, because I was like, oh, I can't say that. So what well, and would you say that you like would you say you had a relationship with god like did you believe the stuff that you were confirming or was it just something Not at all. you did no okay. no but but by, by the time by the time i i got to high school like i i had done checked out a religion in fact i think i checked out a religion like as soon as i was like forced to go to religion class like you know um you know it, it was like i just felt like you know i First of all, I got to wake up like an hour earlier to go to religion class in the morning. That's already a drag. I hate going to school, but I got to go to this extra. And why? Because mom tells me to. And, you know, my dad's like, listen to your mom. You got to go there. And yes. So, it's, so, it's, so, so off I went. It seems like an odd, like from moving here and talking to everyone that was forced to go to Catholic school, it seems like the worst strategy to get someone to believe in God is to force them and like every almost without fail, every single person I've talked to has like a bone to pick because it was just crammed down their throat. It really was. And, you know, and, and, and me being, you know, somewhat intellectual at the time, at least I thought I was smart, but it, it was a combination of me being smart and a little bit, you know, anti-authoritative. 
uh, I want to question everything. Yeah. And, like, and we had, a, we had a priest. If, if we didn't have a priest, we had someone from the church who uh, like, you know, a nun or, or uh, someone who uh, worked with the priest to teach us these classes. And I was questioning everything. I was like, I was like, like, you know, man wrote this book, not God. You know, I was, I was constantly in debate with every one of them. And a lot of that looking back was like, was all fucking attention seeking on my behalf. So <laughs> for sure. And I totally, <laughs> and I mean, that, that goes hand in hand with the metal punk scene of just like, fuck the establishment authority. And you're not going to tell me right. what to believe and yada, yada, yada. All yeah. right. So moving into middle and high school, uh, what was the scene there? What was going on with you then? Well, uh, middle, see, so I grad, I, um, graduated 98. So middle school was like 94, 95. I was when I got into high school, freshman year. And, um, up until I was about 15, 16 years old, I hung out with this guy, um, he lived across the street from me and we were like, you know, we we're like a you know, freaking frat. We, we, we did everything, you know, we hung out and, uh, you know, we, we sold weed together and all this and that. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of my, my social cues were like, kind of like, you know, picked up from him. And, and, uh, so like we all knew the same people. Well, he got into some harder shit, like from an early age, like his parents got divorced and like, it was like the jumping off point for him and his, his younger brother. Like they, when we, when I was hanging out with him, we're selling weed. Well, like it's because of him that like fucking like ecstasy became like the shit to do. Like, oh yeah. He, he was, he was that influential in, yeah. in, in our town. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm noticing these trends. Like, you know, he's like, you know, I'm still like, you know, metalhead. Like I was a kind of social butterfly as well in our town, got along with everyone. And this dude, like if I'm, if I'm blink 182, he's fucking like master P and, and all that shit, you know, yeah, he, he's got diving wrong, in, he's diving in here first, you know, like, you yeah. know, my point is like, you know, I was happy go lucky kid and he's like, he's, he, it's getting like, dark. Was, yeah. It's, it's getting real dark and real evil, real fast. Yeah. And, and you know, the guy's in jail right now mm. and uh, it's like, when I, when I, in high school, um, that's when we severed ties. And like, I, you know, he went his way. I went mine. He ended up dropping out of high school and all kind of shit. And, you know, and I was like, dude, okay, I got to get my life together. You know? Oh, wow. So, so like the party and everything, you know, I was drinking and all that, but it's like, I, I, I toned it down just enough to get my shit together. Yeah. And, and, um, and at 17, I joined the military because I want to get out of, I want to get out of Delcom. That's that. That's okay. That's what I was about to say. That's man. I, uh, well, I always, that's another what if scenario. It's like, I, I wonder if I should have done that, but I've met so many, I mean, I worked with addicted servicemen. So yeah, like that would have just been a cure. Right. So, okay. So you joined in what? 2000, 1998, 99, 97. I graduated uh, Marine Corps boot camp in August of 98. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And, um, but the, my, the whole thing, uh, I wanted to go active duty actually. Uh, I, I would end up joining, uh, as a, um, member of the Marine Corps reserve, which was, uh, I was stationed in right there in Baton Rouge, uh, weapons company, three, fourth Marine division. And, uh, so I put in eight years with the Marine Corps reserved and I mean, if, if there was ever a time where the ego took flight, it was during that eight years. It's like, like the Marine Corps was the academy for like, just full on, like, um, my, where I learned how to drink, where I learned how to fucking fight, where I like, just, you know, I what, was, what it, was, uh, yeah. So, cause would that be considered like still the old, old school Marine Corps? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so like, yeah. what was that experience like as far as basic and then your actual service time? Because I know it's it's way different now. In basic, um, I don't know how to do it now, but we spent a week in receiving. Basically, you know, you get um, 
it's where you turn in all your civilian attire, strip you down, and uh, they, they just basically, you know, they shave your head all there. And uh, in receiving week, you get your first uh, um, uniforms and whatnot. And uh, you're just waiting for your, your uh, platoon to pick up. So I was in uh, platoon 2085 hotel company. And uh, man, it was, it was real. That's all I could say. It was like, you know, they, I mean, they, did they just straight beat you up on the slick? They did like they, <laughs> they was not supposed to, but they did. We, we had, we had three, our, our series drill instructor. He would not condone hitting anyone. He, uh, an opportune series, opportune special drill instructor would not condone hitting anyone, but the green belts, like if you, if you wore a green belt, the, the, the DIs wore green belts. Those guys were like fucking ninjas in the night. <laughs> like, like they, they, they they would beat the shit out of you man they, like like uh give you one example um we were at the uh obstacle course and like and they have all the fucking platoons uh together and you're talking about 68 anywhere from like about 70 was the average number of uh of marine recruits to one platoon so you had let's see three six nine probably 12 platoons, just scattered bodies all over this fucking, this mass obstacle course. And everyone's doing sit-ups and push-ups and whatnot, you know, in unison. And then you got these drill instructors who are just like walking around uh, among the masses. And all you hear is, get your fucking head up. And like, as soon as like your head was coming up, you, you're getting a knee to the grate. Just like, knee, like you get fucking, it was like, dude, like, for real? <laughs> I mean, that's just one example man there was there's plenty of other shit uh um if they that's, if, that's uh, a hilarious visual bruh and, and then like you know if you were doing push-ups they step on your fucking fingers and stuff like that and like and i and if you go down like i wincing in pain like get the fuck up pussy i was like god yeah yeah i don't think it's like that anymore from what i hear oh no so no, so it's your team. So then you eight years. So then you were there for nine eleven. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I was reserved the entire time my enlistment, but nine uh, eleven happened. I was on the job. I was at the port of Iberia, and I was not married yet. I, I got married December of uh, two thousand one, but my my ex-wife and i were together at the time and i mean she like she called me like i was at work she's like did you see the news did you hear anything and all of a sudden as soon as i like pick up my cell phone like my freaking supervisor is walking to me he's like man i think you're about to go to war oh my god i was like like, what he's like come with me to the break room so i went to the break room and i was like cnn was playing and i was watching you know uh one screen had uh you know the twin towers and the other one had the pentagon I was like, oh, fuck. So at 21 years old, I'm like, dude, okay. I thought I was just going to skate by, yeah. you know, have an easy eight years in the, in the Marine Corps Reserve. Nope. <laughs> Wrong answer. And, um, but yeah, we didn't, we didn't deploy initially. Um, we actually uh, deployed in um, March of 2003. Cause it was, it was like a week after my, uh, my, my son Parker was born. Like, Jeez. yeah. So like, it, like, I, it was like a week had a, had a week with Parker and then, you know, deployment hit. And we, cause like our, our mission was ba- like our, uh, our sister unit who was the active unit, um, and based out of 29 Palms, California, we went take over their spot and just hung out until it was time for us our unit to go over to uh Al-Kut, Iraq. So did you see were you in a combat zone? No, I was not. And let me tell you how let me tell you how that shook out. I end up uh tearing up my freaking knee um while deployed in 29 Palms, California. We had a a workup and ended up hurting my knee and it was like three days before the unit was supposed to ship out. And dude talk about like that still hits me hard to this day because the guy that took my spot in my vehicle ended up getting shot through both. No way. So you're talking about like a lot of guilt, like, you know, I know nothing I could have done to prevent that. Right. 
but still, you know, th- that's some how, shit that how I, could you not feel that? Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, um, when and how ironic your knee gets messed up and then he gets shot through both knees. Yes. It's just nuts. It's like, Did you ever yeah. talk to him like uh, about that situation? I haven't looked up Cook in a long time, man. Um, and I well, should we got a surprise for you, Cook. Come on. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> <laughs> I would have shit my drawers if that was um, the case. No, I'm, like, sorry. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't resist. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Well, so, I mean, we could spend a lot of time there, but basically, so how did your drinking and stuff progress while you were deployed? Or oh, absolutely. Was, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, was it just like a, was it just a, I've asked a bunch of people this. Uh, including people I worked with just so like were there people doing like heroin and stuff over there or like what was the drug what was the drinking drug scene there? um well the thing was I mean it was just a lot of a lot of drinking I mean I uh I was stationed with a lot of guys from Baton Rouge who all went to LSU you know oh and, my god yeah so um I think me and maybe 10 other people that I could think of on top of my head who were actually from like Lafayette area. The rest were either from the rest were from either Baton Rouge or new Orleans, some from Lake Charles, but uh, there's a lot of beer drinking going on. Um, But then once I got hurt and, you know, I wasn't the only one that got hurt uh, during uh, the deployment that had to stay back. And uh, we, they shipped us uh, to camp Pendleton which was, you know, uh, closer to San Diego. Uh, and then from there, you know, our mission was just to heal up until the rest of the guys came back from deployment. And, uh, and it, like, I had to spend close to 15 weeks in a splint and on crutches. And they were like, uh, here's some Vicodin. Mm. I was off to the races. Yeah. I like, I mean, you know, you, you're telling you telling me, you know, a, a young kid from from Delcom that all I got to do is stay in San Diego metropolitan uh, area, heal up. Uh, yeah, but away from my family though. My, you know, by, you know, it's like shit was hitting me in fucking waves. Yeah, like, I was having fun at the same time. I'm hearing my young wife having all kind of freaking, uh, you know, just loneliness and dealing with the kids and. Because she she had uh, she had a little girl before uh, we got together, so she's by herself with two kids, also twenty one years old, and uh, you know it's like taking Jeez, all the shit. There's what so a much. recipe for getting loaded, dude. Yeah, and, and and you know it's like you know I couldn't do anything, I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, and all I had to do was all I did was fucking listen to music, chew chew Vicodin, and get drunk. Lord. At the government's expense. Yeah. So, You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so you, so you get out. So, yeah, I guess walk, walk me through that. So, are you essentially like full on addicted to pain pills now when you get out? Are you still on them? What's, what's the story? Um, at that point, like I knew that I wasn't like, I like the effect of Vicodin and pain pills. And so it's like, it's like, I was able to put it down because I had like, I don't know what it was, Jed. Like I had just enough fear, like, you know, at at that point in my life where like, you know, if I did something, I was so paranoid, I'm going to get caught. That's my love. I'm going to get caught doing something illegal. So I didn't do anything. It's like the Marine, like, it's like being in the military gave me just enough fear and enough self-discipline to not touch the shit. So I didn't, but, uh, but I mean, but the drinking (laughs) that, 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 that did not go away. Not at all. Right. Because uh, I didn't tell you this part, but like, you know, uh, Parker, my oldest son is, you know, he's actually my second son. Okay. Uh, me and my ex-wife, we actually, uh, w- when we first got married, we had lost our first child. Uh, oh, wow. she, was, she was six months pregnant and had to deliver the, the boy early. If, if not, she would have died. Oh, um, no. So, so it's like, you know, I, I, 
I felt like, you know, at, at 21, you know, I, it was just like shit hit me right after, you know, in succession. Yeah. It's crazy. That's but, heavy uh, stuff. It's like, you know, it's like that's, that was another reason. I mean, another excuse, you know, another, another you know, I'm the victim. More, more, more shit to drink over. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what did you, what did you get into in the civilian world when you got back? Um, mainly just, you know, I stayed drinking, man, and um, making a fool out of myself at basically every waking turn. Uh, if there was a kid's birthday party, you know, it, it became, uh, you were that it, guy. It, it, oh yeah. It, 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 it became Moe's birthday party. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, it was bad, man. It was really bad. It was very embarrassing, very, very selfish, to, to say the least, man. Um, but uh, it, it, so I started working these jobs, started, you know, eventually working offshore and making a lot of money for, for my, fam- my young family. And, you know, I just started buying more expensive beer, more expensive things to drink, you know, becoming a connoisseur of different uh, imported beers and what not thinking I could handle it. And I couldn't like, I, like, like I, it was going to hell in a handbasket real fucking fast and quick. So is, is that essentially what the divorce was over? Yeah. 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 Uh, essentially. Um, you know, and, and there was a lot of um, me feeling a whole lot smaller than I was giving myself credit for, you know, like my, my ex-wife, I mean, she graduated, she went through four pregnancies, graduated, and graduated uh college on time through uh she graduated uh in a business systems analyst technology it was whenever it was the first semester it was the inaugural class that she graduated from from ul and i mean she's smart as a whip uh and i just felt fucking small and she was like okay Tom, you know the plan was our plan was she graduates then i go back to school and i finish my degree yeah and and it was like, bro, like, I can't do what you're doing. Not even ma- like, and I was majoring when, I, when we first met, I was majoring in broadcasting and I just felt like, nah, I can't do it. I was more interested in, I was telling myself that I can't do it, you know? Yeah. It. And yeah. Uh, finding every excuse not to do something, not, not to put the uh, right action in place. So, but, uh, that's can't work. shit. That's what I'm, <laughs> I am literally, that's how I'm going through college right now. Like pretty much every step of the way I've told myself I can't do it. And yet I just keep doing it. So, yeah. all right. That's basically where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, you brought up a bear from the top, you know, the top of the hour. And, um, he, he was instrumental, man. He was like, dude, like, just like you said, you know, even though you're afraid to do it, just keep doing it. Just well, so, it. yeah. So when did, at what point, did the suffering become enough for you to try to do something? Um, the suffering, I mean, everything came to a head back in, um, like 2008. Yeah. I got sober, uh, September 13th, 2008. I, and you're talking to someone, you know, up until that point, I had no arrest record. Uh, you know, uh, I had, uh, a flawless record. I, I was a Marine that was like twice decorated and all this. And I had, you know, had the uh, three kids and the, the wife, the garage, and, and uh, two cars in the garage, all that good shit. And like everything in a like two year time span, I mean, it was gone just like mm-hmm. that. I was fucking gone. Um, and um, ended up, you know, uh, getting separated from my wife because I mean, uh, my my selfish behavior, which is fucking, I mean, I would go from being really insanely violent to fucking like suicidal, uh, even homicidal at times. It, it was just, I, I was completely uncontrollable. I mean, it was just like, I, I would, that pendulum would swing from one extreme to the other. And at the same time, I just, I didn't know what the fuck was, what was going on with me. Like, and, you know, court ordered psychologists and therapists are saying, Hey, do you drink? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, how much? And I was like, you know, I would always lie, like, uh, maybe a six pack every other weekend. Oh, jeez. And it was, you no, know, that couldn't be no further than the fucking truth. You know, I didn't want to tell him, oh, you know, uh, when I get back from an offshore job, I'm, you know, I, I'll go straight to the bar and, you know, I'll ask for like, you know, a bottle of Jaeger with, you know, two or three Red Bulls and that'll be that. 
you know, was, God. yeah, yeah. I, I, I would, I would drink from like 11, whenever the bars are fucking open till fucking like 2am with like all my friends, all, all my air quote friends, you know, right. people I met with the, at the bar and shit like that. But, uh, yeah, but you know, one night, um, I ended up breaking into my own house where I was court ordered to stay away from nearly killed myself in the process. Cut yourself still- on glass. Oh God. Yeah. 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 Uh, God, yeah. that dude. I know more people than I should that that exact scenario has happened to. They have gotten drunk. They have gotten locked out or um, banned from, and it all has to do with like a a woman too. And they try to break in and they freaking, yeah, don't punch your hand through glass. No, no, no. That is how people die. Lesson learned. And dude, I mean, um, you know, and my, my, my ex-wife, man, she, uh, she was traumatized you know, and, oh, so, man. and so, and so are my kids, you know? And, uh, because uh, I was, I was, uh, fixated on, you know, the relationship that I thought she was having with someone else. And what I should have been worried about is trying to be the better ex-husband and the best father I could be at the time. But, you know, you, when you're trapped in that fucking, that oh, yeah. vision, dude, you, you can't stop it. No. And, 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 then, and then in the middle of a fucking blackout drunk, Dude, it, it was like, okay. Um, it's it's a dangerous situation. Very, very dangerous. And, you know, my ex-wife was like, you know, she was cleaning up blood from me for like months. Co- the, the cops came and they were like, you know, and apparently I tried slotting myself. Like I was like low crawling, trying to get away from the cops because I saw the, the lights and the sirens and I was on the verge of passing out. And the cops came to the back patio and they're like, where's the body? Y'all drug the body. He's like, no, it's, he's around the couch. He's right there, passed out. <laughs> wow. It was, it, it was bad, bro. It was very bad. All right. So then, so that was, that was the sobering up time. Yeah, that was, that was the bottom, man. That, that was without a doubt, the low bottom. Well, so what, what did, what's life look like after that? After that, you know, I, um, I went through a 30-day uh, treatment facility here in Lafayette. Where'd uh, you go? AAC. Oh, okay. me too, yeah. baby. That's the yep. one that uh, old right, right yeah, on Pinhook. Yep, Pinhook yep. and Barrett. Yep. yep. And uh, stayed there for 30 days. I mean, and then it's like you know the writing. You know, I, I knew like if I wanted to save my fucking job, if I wanted to save my life, I had to I had to go through this. And I was 28 at the time, and. Uh, you know, I had, I had, uh, my old counselor, Chad, uh, yeah. with, uh, on my podcast, man. And I tell you, and like, Oh, you had oh, him on. I'm going to go back and listen. Yeah. Uh, episode 14. Okay. On, on uh, he, uh, he was without a doubt the addict slash alcoholic who was able to get through to me like no one else can. And that dude, and I don't say this lightly, that fucker saved my life. Yeah. He, because if there was no Chad with us, there'd be none of this was happening right here. Yeah. And, uh, man, he, I mean, he, he got through to me and, uh, what I thought I just had an anger problem, right. You know, back then. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, cause I knew that, you know, I was mad at everyone, you know, and, and I was even mad at myself. I was like hanging, you know, telling myself constantly I was a piece of shit and I was a no good father and all this and that. And, um, uh, you know, and he was like, dude, it's like, what you have is a bunch of unchecked resentments and unmade amends and all this and that. He's like, man, I want you to write down everything that you're mad at, everything that's ever pissed you off in your life. And little did I know he's doing like this makeshift inventory on me, right? Nice. And it's like when I put everything on paper and saw, you know, my part in it, he's like, dude, what if I told you you don't have to live with that shit anymore? I was like, I don't. He's like, no, nah, we're going to burn that shit right now. We're going to give it to God. And dude, it was like, literally, it, it felt like, like this fucking, <laughs> the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders, man. Yeah. Lack of a better comparison. No, that's awesome. I love. Yeah. And those moments are, are impossible to, to relay to anyone else but like i i know i know what that feels like and it's just so it's so because it because it's literally going from the lowest point in your life or it, it's it's like being it's like dying of thirst and finally hitting a water fountain 
You know what you're I mean? Exactly right. You're exactly yeah. right. So, and then, and I mean, I know, I mean, the, the, the thing that I said um, was the reason I first heard about you. So then you had the other life crisis with the medical stuff, right? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, fast forward, uh, and this is all, you know, I say continuously sober since uh, September 13, 2008. And um, so this is uh, in 2014, where I'm working offshore. And uh, one day I come off of a hitch. I was just working safety at this point, like, man, it's like, you know, we all start making plans, you know, in, in sobriety, you know, well, mm -hmm. I start making lateral moves. And uh, even though I hate, you know, I not really hate, but God or someone knew that working offshore wasn't for me because I was away from friends. I was away from family for, you know, days at a time. And, mm -hmm. but anyway, it's just weird how things work out. Uh, I start making these moves where like, you know, I go from working, like a, a schedule of 28 days on seven days off, something like that to be working a, a, as a safety rep for Chevron, you know, making, you know, comparable uh, wages and, uh, and being home 14 days at a time. And, you know, only working for day it was 14 to 14. And uh, so I'm doing that. I come back home. I'm in a relationship at the time and I started having these bad nosebleeds kind of nosebleeds. I just could not stop with a handkerchief. I was getting bath towels, ruining, ruining all my bath towels. And I was like, and at this point, uh, you know, I'm what, about five, six years sober. And, uh, yeah, six years sober. And, uh, I was like, either in the gym, running, something. Like, I took care of myself, dude. Like, you know, you know how it is in sobriety. Like, oh, yeah. Of, That's the you, first thing you do. It's like, yeah, let's, get, you, let's get ripped. Let's get ripped. And I stayed. I stayed doing that, man. I just, you know, I always watch what I ate. And, you know, and, um, and like, my roommate at the time, Brian, was like, man, I, was like, I don't get it. Like, you, you, you juice your vegetables. You, you fast. <laughs> and, like, you, you get diagnosed with this uh, rare, uh, super rare um, vasculitis called, uh, Wagner's, uh, but now it's like, uh, granulomatosis with polygenitis. And, uh, basically what it happens is that, um, your, uh, is your white blood cell starts overproducing throughout your entire body. Like, and it, it attacks your sinuses, your joints, your, uh, eventually your, your major organs. And if, with, with if you don't get treatment, you, you fucking die. Simple as that. And, uh, it was pretty scary, man. Like, uh, on the onset of it, I lost my hearing. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't taste anything. Uh, like I lost, I was before I was weighing what I am right now. I was like, like what, 180, 185. And I dropped down to like 152 in like two weeks. Good because Lord. It, it was bad, dude. It, it was so bad and real scary. Um, thank God for my, uh, my ENT, because he was like, look, there's something, uh, that you're going through. And I think it's called vasculitis. And, um, you know, from this point, I'm going to refer you to your rheumatologist. Well, I go to the rheumatologist and he says, you know, uh, yeah, he's like, you definitely have something called Wagner's it's treatable. And he, like, he was going to schedule me treatment. Like we scheduled, like this was on a Monday. And he was scheduling it for the following Thursday. Well, I didn't make it to the following Thursday. I had to go into the ER like the next day because I started bleeding from the nose again. Um, so I ended up doing emergency treatment, uh, right? Tuxin injections. That's how I get treated now, uh, right then and there. And the whole time I'm thinking, <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking, I was like, man, I'm not going to Coachella this year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wasn't worried that's about how that. I would think, bro. That's exactly <laughs> how I would think. <laughs> we got a mutual friend in Marlin, right? And uh, and Marlin was like, dude, are you going to be able to come to Coachella? I was like, I don't uh, know. I, 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 might be, I might be dead before April, man. I don't know. You <laughs> should <laughs> be like, Doc, if I'm going to die, I'm at least going out watching Tame Impala. You know what I'm that's saying? That's exa exactly, Yeah. <laughs> 
But I, uh, I was able, like, you know, this all happened around my birthday of 2014. And uh, so I think my, my first, my first right inject, injection was in the ER, like two weeks after diagnosis. And I went for another two rounds of treatment and I was able, I was fully treated. I was able to go to fucking California, go to Coachella. Hey, it was, it, it was, it was, it was tough. I was, you know, I, I was in that fucking, uh, that, that desert heat, man. And it was, it was a grind, but man, I had fun. I'm glad I went because I met some people that I'm still friends with to, to this day. And we're like really supportive of who I am and, you know, and what I'm about. That's dude. So that's, a. Uh... Yeah, I'm I'm definitely glad I got to hear it because that is a hell that is a hell of a journey and you've certainly come quite quite a long way. So so now, yeah, tell us, uh, give us how uh, the how, where, wins and whys of tales from the rift. Riff. Okay. Well, uh, you know, um, we live in these COVID times, right? And uh, or we might be on the. Uh, on the, I guess the, the downside of COVID and all that. I don't know. Uh, I haven't been keeping up with the different uh, variants and strains of it and all that shit. But um, yeah, I was, I was working as a, um, as a uh, land professional an abstractor slash researcher. And I had actually had another uh, relapse back in July uh, last year. And uh, so I was out of work for a while and a relapse on, on the, the illness, the illness. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, it, you know, it had been, it had been three years since my last treatment. So I was like doing good, you know, and it was only a matter of time before, you know, the Wagner's comes back and, you know, reared's ugly head. And so, and it was probably just as severe as it was back in, um, in 2014 with, without the nosebleeds. I mean, it was a lot of physical, like, it felt like my body was in a vice grip. Like I, it was like, my all my ache all my achiness and 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 the joint pain was just like magnified like a hundred times over it felt like and uh but anyway so i went through treatment for that um was able to get back right physically and um you know um i had a good friend of mine that that passed away in 2019 um sean anders and his before he died uh, he told me that his, uh, his oldest son, Blaine was joining the military. He was joining the national guard. And I told Sean, I say, look, if, if your son needs any kind of, uh, any encouragement or any guidance, how to navigate through the military, uh, bureaucracy, anything like that, you know, just tell him, give me a call. And that was the end of it. And then like Sean died December 21st, 2019 which is really interesting because my son, who I told you about before, me and Jennifer, mm -hmm. he died, that's his birthday, and died the same, December 21st. And I was like, oh, that's weird. no, that's, that's yeah. so weird. It's, it's no coincidence because I never met Sean's uh, son, Blaine. Uh, I befriended him on Instagram and I told him, I said, look, I even screenshotted the- uh, The convo. Uh, the convo. With his, with his dad, I said it to him and I said, dude, I said, look, uh, and you know, um, just, you know, allow me to be one more guy that has your back. Cause you know, his dad was a phenomenal guitar player. He played here in, in Lafayette, a bunch of death metal bands. Dude, dude, um, was on his grind guitar wise. I mean, put everyone in this town for shame. And, uh, and I told, and I, and Blaine was telling me that he had a few friends that, uh, want him to be in a band because he plays guitar as well, but he didn't want to commit himself. He was in the garden and I'm thinking, dude, you know what, man, it'd be pretty cool if we started our own metal podcast and he was down. He's like, hell yeah, dude, let's do it. And my fiance came up with the name. I like, I like to, you know, I would love to take credit for that name, but I can't. My, my fiance came up with name. the name. I know. And she's, she's very clever like that. And uh, I love her to death about it. And, uh, and it's like, once we had the name, I, I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. I, you know, I kind of like just uh, roll with the format, you know, using a certain design of Lynn's uh, ways, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, just, you know, I just tell the artist, man, just tell us, you know, how and why and where you plan on going with, with your music and, 
um, you know, and we add our share of dick and fart jokes in between. So absolutely. It's a, it's a fun time. Good deal. Well, yeah. Do you have a website or anything? I don't have a website, but, uh, yeah, I neither got, do I, I need, uh, I know I got a domain and everything. I just, I, uh, and then, but you know, I got, we got merch, we got uh, a discord that we operate in. Um, yeah, I got a shirt from y'all actually. Cause there's some, oh, dope, you did? yeah, there's some dope shirt designs, dude. Thank you, man. Yeah. I yeah, didn't know bro. that. Yep. Yep. So everybody, uh, when, uh, go give them a subscribe and leave them a review that really helps a uh, new podcast at first, especially on Apple. So just go leave them a five-star review, uh, tales from the riff. Mo, thanks so much for coming on, bro. That was an awesome man. story. Dude. Awesome thank you story. for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course, bro. Anytime. Um, send me an email at church and other drugs at gmail.com. Uh, patreon.com slash church and other drugs. Uh, I want to thank Noah again for his generous donation. And uh, oh, there's another new patron. Hold on. Fill the air with talking. Yeah. And if uh, anyone wants to uh, give us a follow for Tales of the Riff, we, uh, we're on Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Amazon as well. Awesome. On Facebook and Instagram as well. Brian Kluz? Kluz? K-L-U-Z. How would you say that? I would Kluz? say Kluz. 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 Brian Kluz. Thank, thank you, buddy. Um, and storefrontier.com slash church and drugs. Thanks again, Mo. Hey, thank you, Jay.
Cause you're running and running 